Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. So we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. How many of you understand or are familiar with these words? Uh, indeed, monster, zip recruiter. Under, you understand those words and are familiar? How many of you think, what in the world is that? <laughs> okay, in our modern world, the, I feel like I'm very loud, Jerry. Am I okay? In our modern world, these are places where people go to see job openings, to find a place to work. Indeed, uh, there's other ones, jobs.com and whatever. Uh, in the old days, for people in my generation, you went to the classified ads and opened up the newspaper, and you could tell how the economy was doing based on how much room the help wanted ads took place in the newspaper. Sometimes it was a little bit and sometimes several pages. So when we look at uh, uh, this section of 1 Timothy, um, it's kind of like God has put out a job opening. And in a job opening, you have qualifications and requirements. And I hope you can read this. I just grabbed this from Indeed, I think. It's a job opening for an accountant. Well, I'm an accountant, so that's why I picked the accounting. Could have been an engineer or a staff person or whatever. But you'll notice a lot of information there, full job description, duties and responsibilities. This person needs to have oversight of full accounting process, managing and reviewing numerous bank, trust, and brokerage accounts. That's the job description for this job. If you can do that, you might apply. If you, and the fact is, I still have up there, apply now. If you click right there, you could go ahead and apply for this job. Uh, qualifications, bachelor's degree in accounting, finance or related field, CPA, license or candidate, three to five years of experience. This is a job opening. And you can take that down now back there. Um, that's what we're going to kind of look at today. So if you would open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read the first seven verses. God's uh, job description. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, or that word could be elder or bishop, there's different translations, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace or into the devil's trap. So pretend like we have handed out you a blank application for a job. 
and we're going to look at the job opening. Um, and this passage specifically talks to elders and overseers or deacons, you know, that position, but it talks to all of us. Everybody should be developing in their Christian life um, to be the person that God wants us to be. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look, this is going to be a long one, we're going to look at the 14 qualifications for an elder that God has posted on his job site. There's seven positive ones. There's four that are listed in the negative. And then there's three that have some additional explanation to them. So the sense there's so many, I tried to divide it up so you can get your hand around it instead of just 14. There's different, different uh, groupings of them. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But let's first look at the ver first verse. Um, I don't have anything back there, so I want to turn around every now and then and make sure you guys are looking what, at what I'm seeing. Um, the word overseer. And if you have your Bibles open, you might find two or three or four different words that your translation puts in there. It, is, it was not a religious term at, in Paul's time. It was just simply a supervisor or a, a foreman, somebody that looked over a group of people. Uh, the common definition was an overseer, a man charged with the duty of seeing that things be done by others are done rightly, um, a guardian superintendent. Uh, and so this was the position in, in the New Testament church. And um, there, if I have time at the end, we'll go back and look at some more verses that describe elder, but I'm going to put that to the end. And I'll give you the verses at the end, even if we don't have time to go over them. But there's lots of different verses. If you want more about elders and how they appointed elders, uh, the position of elder, um, there's a lot more we could study on that. But here at our church, we have four elders, Jerry, Alan, Mike, and I. And this is written to elders, which kind of puts me on the spot. I mean, I'm kind of like, but I thought maybe I should grab three chairs and put them right here and make Mike and Alan and Jerry sit right there and say, okay, rest of you can go home. We're going to... No, but it is for all of us. We all should be developing these characteristics in our life, but they're God is, is kind of being very pointed in saying, if you're in church leadership, these are the qualifications you should have. If, you're in a ch if you've been in a church in the past, you may have seen good and bad situations with elders and pastors and church leadership. Um, and so God doesn't want that. And a part of the way he tries to protect his church is to say, look, here's some very specific things that you ought to be aware of that are important to have leadership in your church. And that's what he's given us today. But I also don't want you to say, eh, I'm not an elder, I'm going to take a nap. These are all for all of us to be developing in our lives. So it's, it's very important. The other thing, my Bible says at the end of verse 1, he desires a noble task. Some of you may have the word work. I like the word work better because being an elder does take time and energy focus, uh, uh, just it, it is work. It is work. Um, and, and Mike gets more of that since he's our vocational elder. Uh, but pray for us because it does, 
it does take a lot of time and energy to be an elder. It's, it's hard work. Um, before we get into this list, there's some just general thoughts I had. The emphasis of this list is on character rather than experience or, or skills. Some of the qualifications are distinctly Christian. And I asked myself, well, you know, maybe, they sh- maybe Paul should have just wrote to Timothy the fruits of the Spirit again. Maybe that's what a church elder should be. But he didn't. He gave us this list. Um, and there might be other things that are very important, but he gave us this specific list for elders. It's not a list of the most educated. Do you ever see somebody that has their name listed and they got letters behind it, you know, and their, their certificates and their education and their qualifications? And God doesn't put down that he has to have a seminary degree or anything like that. He talks about his character, what he needs to be. And there's nothing wrong with getting a Bible education in seminary and in Bible school. I'm not saying that at all. But that's not the primary qualification for church leadership. We should all be studying God's Word and learning more of it. That's, that's part of our calling as a Christian. Um, so we'll move on to verse 3. Um, these are the seven positive characteristics. Above reproach is at the top of the list, and I think it's there for a reason. It's kind of like in the fruits of the Spirit list, love is first. This is an all-encompassing, above reproach. It's very suitably at the first of the, of the list. It means, it means that nobody can lay hold on this person with an accusation. Nobody can bring an accusation for this person. If you want to be an elder of the church, there shouldn't be a lot of people out there saying, uh, I saw this, or he did this, or uh, above reproach. That's the number one, number one um, qualification in God's job description. He presents to the world at large a Christian life that he furnishes no grounds for accusation. So the first thing, if a church is looking for a leadership, they've got to find somebody that's above reproach. And again, this is kind of, we're none of us are perfect. Uh, you could find something on, on all of us that where we weren't above reproach. Um, but in general, or in most of the time, this is what needs to, to be a quality of this person. The second characteristic, second positive, husband of but one wife. You know, in the time Paul wrote this, if you were a secular wife, you, had, you were like the same rights as maybe a horse. I mean, literally, the man could get rid of you, do what he wanted, da, 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 you know. Uh, and he's saying, wait, 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 when you get married, you are husband of but one wife. Um, the Jewish wife was a little better off, but really not much. Uh, a Jewish man could divorce his wife. So God here is telling that, that this person ought to be husband of one wife. And now there's a lot of qualifi- a lot of discussion about, okay, what does this mean? Uh, if you're divorced and remarried, or do you meet this? Or if you were divorced before you became a Christian and then remarried after you became a Christian? Um, there's lots of details. Or in Paul's day, a guy could have become a Christian and he had five wives. What's he do? 
But that is a lot of interesting discussion. What it's saying is, is if anybody is going to become a leader in the church and anybody in the church ought to have eyes and thoughts for his one wife, and that's it. That's pretty simple, straightforward. Um, he, he's a, the, the way they said it would be read literally is a one-woman sort of man. One-woman sort of man. Um, and we all know of guys that are not that way, but that's the way we are supposed to be in the, in the church. Uh, the next word is temperate. It also could be sober. The idea is someone not given to extremes. They're reliable and trustworthy. You don't have to worry about a wide range in changes in their mood, their actions, their reactions. A person that's in, in, in leadership and all of us Christians should be working to be temperate in our lives. In heated and tense moments, can you be counted on to keep an even keel and not speak or act in extremes? Can I? Can we? That's the goal. That's the idea of temperate. The next word is self-controlled, which translates a sound mind, discreet, prudent, chase, living in complete control over, over our desires. Um, it does not mean that the man has no sense of humor or suggests that he is always solemn or sober. Rather, it suggests that he knows the value of things and does not cheapen the ministry or the gospel by foolish behavior. That's a quote of Warren Wiersbe. Uh, Self-control suggests the need to control impulsive behavior and not to overindulge the appetites. I like one guy that said, self-control, it's the ability to take a chocolate bar and break it up into four pieces and only eat one. <laughs> Self-control. Uh, the, the control of our appetites, our desires, and impulses and things we want. And that's who this, this person should be. The elders cannot be compulsively self-destructive. Uh, we talk today a lot about addictions. Christians should not be addicted to things. We should not be addicted, uh, meaning that every, things are good, but they shouldn't control our actions. When it's time to stop, quit, put it away, we do it. Probably the biggest thing today is your screens. Stop, control, put it away. What controls, what do we have self-control over? And that's a hard one. Uh, it, it is, sometimes I'll be sitting there at night thinking, why am I looking at my phone? I'm dead tired. Why am I going to bed? And I keep looking. <laughs> well, you dummy, go to bed. Well, uh, uh. Uh, that's self-control. We shouldn't have any uh, self-destructive behavior. The next positive command out of these seven is respectable. It's well-behaved, orderly, honest, proper. Maybe the, maybe the word dignified would be a good word. Uh, that we are very respectable. You know, there's a lot of famous Christian leaders that have ended up being very unrespectable when they find out about what's going on or, and what they've done in their lives. And more often than not, it's not just 
I sinned and fell into a single temptation and I'm asking forgiveness and taking care of it, more often than not, it's a lifestyle that they have been having for months or years. Um, that is not respectable. We want to be respectable. You know, when I thought, okay, who's, who is respectable? I thought of Billy Graham. I read that he, the Gallup poll does an annual most admired man, men, you know, so this year, who's the most admired man? This year, 61 times in his life, he was in the top 10. 61 times out of his 99 did he live to be? He was in the top 10 most admired men as a Christian man. Um, what a target for us in our living a respectable life. By the way, the second highest one, Ronald Reagan. 31 times he was in the top 10. But we should be that respectable in our lives that people, that we, we aren't hiding anything, we aren't putting anything under the table, we don't have anything to hide. Our lives, if people see them, are respectable. The next positive word is hospitable. Um, it comes from the idea in the New Testament, there, there was, I mean, if a Christian evangelist or Paul or something came into your town, somebody had to put them up in their house. You had to be hospitable. Or some Christians might be persecuted in that day, and they lose their house. Other Christians need to show hospitality to take care of them. It's, it can mean have people over for lunch, have people over for a meal, and get together, and we should be doing that. That's Christian hospitality. We should be having people over to our houses. But in this day and age, it was even far more than that. Willing to give up resources and time and things we have to help out other people in need and show hospitality. Uh, elders should be willing to open their homes to both friends and strangers. And this is something we all should be doing. One time I, I knew an older lady who lived in Vandalia, Michigan, and she said that she had a, a railroad tramp come up to her house. And she was young mother, little kids, but she went ahead and made him a sandwich and sent him on his way. And I thought, what an example of hospitality. She didn't have any money or any extra resources, but there's a need and to help a person out. Uh, and that's the kind of hospitality we should show. There's a need, and we can help people with the things that we have. So an elder needs to be uh, hospitable. Another qualification of an elder is the ability to teach. Um, part of that is like this, up here preaching, but a part of that can be in conversation. The ability to help people see through a situation in their lives with Scripture, with principles that, we, that come from God's Word. And that's an important part of, of being an elder. And there's also, in chapter 5, we're going to come across this verse that says that um, those that preach publicly should be given more um, honor. So there, there is some differences in abilities in preaching, which is fine, but there needs to be an ability to teach God's Word or to help others apply God's word to their life and the circumstances, the same thing they're going through. Um, to pass on advice and doctrine. 
One person even said the most effective teaching is not done by speaking, but by being what you are. Okay, so there's, there's the positives. Now Paul writes to Timothy um, in verse 3. He starts with four negatives. Um, the first negative is not given to drunkenness. Back in the New Testament, wine was often drank because it was a safe, healthy drink. Uh, if you can imagine living in a, a city of thousands of people and you have all kinds of waste that needs to get out of that city and fresh water in, it, it was a problem in the New Testament. So if you drank wine, that was a safe thing to drink. But what this word literally means is one who sits long at his wine. So if you, got, if you lived in the New Testament and you needed a drink, not a drink alcohol, a, drink, a liquid, drink your wine and be done with it. Don't sit there for a long time with your wine. Um, so a elder cannot be given to drinking, intoxication. Uh, today could be drugs. Um, this seems pretty straightforward. If, and as a Christian, we are all held to this standard. I know there's lots of differences. It would be fun to take a poll. Who in here drinks alcohol? Don't raise your hand. I'm, <laughs> I'm, this is theoretical. And how much is okay to drink? Some would say zero. Some would, and, and I don't want to get into that. But definitely drunkenness or lingering a long time with your wine is wrong. Okay? We all know that. And an elder should not be one that does that. The next negative thing is not violent, not a, a fighter. Um, he's not a quarrelsome person. And it gives a little bit more here when it says, but he is gentle. So an elder is a person that, that is not violent, um, but he is, he is gentle. The third negative qualification is quarrelsome. An elder is not looking to something to fight over. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. You ever run into anybody that seems like no matter what you say, they're going to come back with a, the, other, the other side. They just like to be quarrelsome. And sometimes we need to do that, but that's not a characteristic of us as Christians or as an elder. We should not be known to be a quarrelsome person, a person that's always uh, against what you're saying. And finally on the negative, an elder should not be a lover of money. Have you ever heard the, somebody talk about the Greek words for love, and there's agape, that's God's love, and phileo, that's kind of a human love? Well, this word is the word for silver, and the word phileo in the Greek. A lover of silver. Do not be a lover of money. And we also have many, many sad accounts of public Christian speakers and ministers that it comes to light that they really did have a love of money, a love of possession, a love of things in their lives. And um, we should not be this way. Uh, our son-in-law and daughter went on a vacation last week, and they went to the Mint, the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia, where they make the coins. And I got, well, that would be kind of interesting, you know, and... I kind of jokingly said, like, can you grab a few? Or, and he said, I, I, don't, I, don't got it. I didn't get all the details, or I can't remember. But, like, some fall on the floor in the process, and they sweep them up and put them in the trash. 
I don't know. Uh, somehow, if it doesn't get to the end, it's not officially a coin. And, um, but money, it has a way of grabbing us and being the center of our attention. And even just to, I mean, in a mint, all they're doing is taking metal and stamping it and putting, why is that so cool? Because it's money. I mean, if I was stamping out a little round coin with my image on it, nobody would care. Um, so money has a way of getting a hold of us. Are you satisfied with what you have? Could you even be satisfied with less? Don't be a lover of money and things. Be content with what we have. Then lastly, the last three, he goes into several verses that he gives us three more things, but he also elaborates on them. And I'm going to go through these here. Uh, an elder must be able to manage his, his own family well. Um, a family is a training ground for church leadership. A family is a training ground for church leadership. He must be able to manage his, whole, his household well. And in the New Testament times, this could mean if you were, uh, uh, had more money, you, mean, you could have servants and a business. It could be managed quite a big household or could be husband and wife and children. Um, does he live at home like he does at church? Is he not uh, hypocritical in any way? And the second part of this managing his family is his children obey him with pro proper respect. Lots of times a father can be harsh on his children and they will obey him because if they don't, they're like dead meat. I won't it. But that's not obeying with proper respect. A father ought to get his children to obey with a very respectful, honest, loving approach. So it doesn't have to be heavy-handed that they obey out of fear. They can obey because of the way the father has commanded them at home. Um, disobedience in children is not a child problem. It's a parent problem. Disobedience in children is not a child problem. It's a parent problem. Uh, so one of the things to look for in an elder is, has he raised his children correctly? Um, talking about obedience, I like to share this story. We, we used to have a dog that Mindy took to 4-H. I'll put you on the... Uh, and he had a command of obedience called uh, hold it. I think it was hold it. Hold it. And so we had an a separate shed that had a sewing room in it, and the, our girls sewed out there, and then there was the house. And if they needed like a pair of scissors, they would call the house, and you put a pair of scissors in a, in a grocery bag, put it in the dog's mouth and say, hold it, and then they would call him out in the shed. <laughs> dog would go out, and you could take the scissors out. Well, he also knew that command well enough. You could take a piece of hot dog, put it in your hand, and say, hold it, and that dog would come grab the hot dog. And you could wait five or ten seconds, and then you could say, give. And the dog would give you back the hot dog. Now that's kind of extreme. But how well do our kids obey us? That's the point. Kids, if we put a hot dog in your mouth, can you give it? No. That's a, uh, we need to be training our children very diligently in our Christian life. And that's a part of what, they, what an elder is supposed to be doing, too. Um, and then 
The next thing, an elder must be, not be a recent convert. This is pretty obvious, and it even says that, uh, uh, that he doesn't um, come under the judgment of the devil, which is basically pride. You don't want a recent convert in church leadership. And sometimes that's happened in the past. Somebody's dynamic, and they've had a big change in their life, You've seen spiritual growth, and so put them in leadership, but we should not put recent converts into church leadership because he might become conceited and fall under that judgment of pride, just like the devil did. Lastly, an elder must have a good reputation with outsiders. Um, the potential leader must be, a good, be good inside the Christian walls and outside the Christian walls. There should be no questionable activity in his business, in his, his taxes, his, the way he treats people. Um, people should know him as a kind, gentle uh, man that has a good reputation in everything he does, even outside the church, as well as inside the church. So, um, this has just been a laundry list, kind of, of if God posted a job description for an elder... This is what he's going to list. Our takeaway today is, what can I be doing to fulfill his job duties better? Of all those things I went through and, and read to you, is one kind of stick in your mind as, hmm, that could be one that I could work on. If it does, that's my suggestion to you today, is take that, Pray about it. See what God wants you to do. How can I be better at? You got 14 choices. How can I be better at one of those 14 things? And if you have one in your mind, it's probably a hard one. But that's where we're at in our Christian life is that sometimes we need to do some of those things and work on things that are hard in our lives. So wherever you're at in your life, Look to these qualifications as something that you can move forward to, and we all can. And I really, it, these are qualifications of an elder, and I say I'm an elder, and that makes me seem almost like hypocritical. I mean, we can't all do all this all the time and be perfect. Just can't. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying we all can be working towards our spiritual maturity and growing in the Lord, and these are some direct things he gives us to look at. So if one is on your mind, take that, take it to the Lord, and ask him, you know, how can I be better at this? How can I improve this in my life? Can you give me the strength to do that? And uh, uh, we all should be growing in our, our spiritual faith. Okay, let's pray. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.